0: Well, brothers and sisters, in speaking about the Reformation, one pastor said this. One pastor spoke about the Reformation in this way. The truth of the Reformation is this. The Reformation was a time when men went blind, staggering drunk because they had discovered in the dusty basement of late medievalism a whole cellar full of 1,500-year-old, 200-proof grace. Grace. Bottle after bottle of pure distillate scripture that would convince anyone that God would save, God would save single handedly. The word of the gospel, after all those centuries of believers worrying about their own bootstraps, trying to lift themselves into heaven, suddenly turned out to be a flat announcement that the saved are home free. The saved are home free before they even started. Grace was to be drunk neat. No water, no ice, no ginger ale, certain, no goodness, nor badness, nor the flowers that bloom in the spring of super-spirituality could ever be allowed to enter into the case. Well, the verse that we're focusing on today, First 1 Timothy 1.15, is one of those 200-proof grace passages. Our passage this morning tells us that no matter who you are or what you've done, The superabounding, overflowing grace of God and goodness of God to us in our Lord Jesus Christ is that he hunts down and pursues the most lost and worst people and makes them gospel people. God takes sinners. He takes sinners in rebellion against him, and he makes us people who are worthy in Christ. He makes us people who are worthy to serve Christ, and he makes us people who are worthy in Christ to proclaim the goodness of Christ to the world. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that while we were in rebellion to God, God came to make haters lovers, he came to make opponents, the word there is abusers, he he came to make opponents friends, and he came to make blasphemers worshipers. And the first part of that glorious truth that we're going to look at this morning is that first title and name, a title and a name, Christ Jesus. It's the second phrase in our verse. Verse. Christ Jesus. Who's Christ Jesus? Who does Paul say Christ Jesus is? Christ Jesus, the answer in the text is he's the source of all Paul's hope. Verse 1 of chapter 1 Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. Christ is Paul's hope. Christ is Timothy's hope. Christ is our hope. Christ is our hope because Christ is the one who strengthens us. Verse 12, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Christ Jesus is the one who judged Paul faithful, but not only judged Paul faithful, but made Paul faithful. Christ Jesus is the one who called Paul and strengthened him so that he first believed. Christ Jesus is the one who strengthened Paul so that he could enter the ministry. And, and Christ Jesus is the one so that, he, that strengthened Paul so that he could glorify God in every circumstance. And Christ Jesus is the one who strengthened Paul to preach the gospel when all others abandoned him, when, when no one would defend him in, in 2 Timothy, and, and when Alexander the coppersmith attacked him. In 2 Timothy 2, Paul tells Timothy that Christ Jesus is the one in whose grace Timothy ought to be strengthened. Christ Jesus is our hope and he's our strengthener, and Christ Jesus is the source of our faith and love. Verse 14, the grace of our Lord superabounded for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Christ is the one in whom our faith rests and from whom our faith comes. And that's because he's our gracious God. Christ Jesus is the Son. He's the second person of the Trinity. And he's the one who was sent from the Father's bosom to us in order to reconcile us to the Father. Christ Jesus is the Christ. He's the Christ. And that means that he's the anointed one. And he was promised not just in the Old Testament scriptures, but in eternity. Christ Jesus is God's true anointed. He's our true king who defends us, our chief prophet and teacher whom we can trust and who tells us God's will and he's our only high priest our great high priest He's the anointed of God who makes us right with the father Christ Jesus is the Christ and Christ Jesus is Jesus In Matthew 1 Gabriel comes to Joseph Mary is with child Joseph is considering putting Mary away and the angel comes to Joseph in the night and says Take Mary as your wife, and when you have this baby, name him Jesus. Why do we name him Jesus? Because he saves his people from their sins. God saves his people from their sins. Christ Jesus is Christ, and he's Jesus. He's able to save us our sins because he's God's appointed one. He's God's anointed one. And because he's the one who is to us at the incarnation, God saves. God saves his people. Jesus was born Jesus, and he was born Christ Jesus to save his people from their sins. But not only is Christ Jesus Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus is the one who came. We don't get to skip that word. Christ Jesus is the one who came to us when we were still sinners. Christ came down to us. The son not only promised to save us, he's the one who saved us by coming down. He came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was thus made man. Christ Jesus is the one who left the bosom of the Father. Not only did he come to us from the bosom of the Father, he left the bosom of the Father and came to us. He came to us to be born of Mary. He's the eternal God who was born into time. He is the Spirit who took on a body and at the birth of Christ, the Creator became a creature. Christ Jesus came to us. He came to us because we couldn't go up to him. We're separate from God, and that was true before the fall. We were separated from God in terms of being. God is the creator. We are the creature, and that means that we don't get to know him unless he comes down to us, and that's the way it was before the fall, and and even after the fall, we're separated more We're separated more, not just in terms of being from God, but in the fall, we were separated by our sin. We're lost in Adam. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, and we liked it that way. We walked in that way. We were dead in our sins, and we liked it. We couldn't have gone up to God not only because of who we are as humans, as creatures, but as sinners. We were separate from God. We didn't want to go up. We couldn't have gone up, and we and, and again, we didn't go up. He came down. Christ came. Jesus Christ came to us before the creation of the world. The Son covenanted with the Father and said, I will go. I will go to them. I will be born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law. I'll take on flesh so I can obey the law for them. And then I'll have that flesh that I took on torn for them. So if you're wondering what the goodness and mercy of God relentlessly pursuing you like a rabid sheepdog looks like, it looks like this. It looks like Christ Jesus came. Christ Jesus came, and he took flesh to save people that didn't even want it. And in case that's unclear, that we didn't even want it, we have the next word to deal with. Not only did Christ Jesus come, he came into the world Christ Jesus came into the world. Well, what's the world? How does Paul talk about the world? Paul tells us this. In 1 Corinthians chapters 1 and 3, Paul tells us that the world is a wisdom opposed to God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul tells us that the world is a spirit of age of the age that's opposed to Christ. In 1 Corinthians 6, 7, and 11, Paul tells us that the world is a place that's passing away headed for condemnation and a place that the saints will judge. In 1 Corinthians 4, in 1 Corinthians 4 Paul tells us that the world is a place where people who belong to Jesus are a spectacle. In 1 Corinthians 4 Paul tells us that the place the world is a place where not only are the people who belong to Jesus a spectacle, but they're a place or the world is a place where the people who belong to Jesus are considered trash. In 1 Corinthians 5, Paul tells us that the world is a place full of the sexually immoral, greedy, and swindlers, and idolaters. In Galatians 6, Paul tells us that if you're in Christ, then the world is a place to which you're crucified, and which is crucified to you. The world is the enemy. The world is the place that God made, and God owns it, but it's also the place that's in rebellion to God. The world hates God. How many times didn't Jesus say that in the book of John? The world hates me, and it'll hate you because you belong to me. The world is the enemy. But most importantly, not only is the world a place that hates God, it's a place full of sinners who hate God. It's a it's a republic that hates God, but it's a republic that hates God because everybody is voting for the sin party. It's full of sinners who love hating God. And yet that's exactly where Jesus Christ came. Christ Jesus came into the world. Christ Jesus came into a world full of sinners, and he came into a world full of sinners in order to save sinners. This is important. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Christ, and, and that's important. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, which means that he didn't come to save worthy people. He came to save filthy enemies. Christ Jesus came because we were unworthy, because we were sinners. He's the righteous one who suffered for unrighteous people. He came to save you because you were lost and so that he could make us worthy before the Father. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, His whole purpose, his whole mission, even his name, everything about him was not saying, come to me if you're good enough. It was saying, come to me because I'm here to seek my lost sheep who wouldn't come to me if I didn't love them first. His mission, his purpose, his name, and his gospel is that he's the one who saved us, not we came to him. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and that's why we dare show up this morning. We, we came here, we came before a holy God, and, and, and we come every week, and we feast on his flesh every week, not because we're worthy, but because he's our worthiness. Christ Jesus came to save sinners. He's our worthiness even to gather as the people of God this morning. We don't dare come into his presence because we're, we're so inherently good, We come because Christ Jesus is our worthiness, and we come to hear this promise. We come to hear the promise that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and we need to hear that again and again and again and again every Lord's Day because it's the thing we most desperately need. It's our whole hope and worthiness. We need to hear that promise that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, But now we come to that last phrase, of whom I am chief, or of whom I am the foremost. And Paul is dead serious when he says that. Paul is dead serious when he says, I'm the foremost sinner. This is not Paul putting on a rhetorical flourish. This is not Paul doing the false humility thing. Paul's dead serious when he says, I'm the worst sinner imaginable. And that's because of what Paul's already told us. Paul already told us what kind of person he was before the goodness of God superabounded to him in Christ Jesus. Paul was a persecuting, abusive blasphemer. See, Paul understands something. Paul understands that not only was he the worst of people in terms of who he was to his neighbor, not only was he one of the worst sinners against his neighbor who was using the full force of the law to persecute God's people. Not only was he using the system so he could kill and jail people because he liked doing it, Paul understands that he was one of the worst sinners against his neighbor, but he understands also that he committed the unpardonable sin. Paul committed the unpardonable sin. He committed the sin against the spirit. Paul committed blasphemy. There's no cure for that you die for that. Paul blasphemed. He sinned brazenly against God. He persecuted Christ. Remember what he says, what Christ says to him on the road to Damascus? He opens the heavens and he, he blinds Paul and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? Saul was probably in Jerusalem at the time that Jesus died. And Even if he wasn't one of the Pharisees there at the time that Jesus died, he was sure there for the apostles. So Paul, Saul, back then, heard the gospel straight from the horse's mouth. Saul heard it from the apostles. He heard the gospel from the apostles. He heard it from Stephen as he was killing Stephen. And he maybe even heard the gospel from Christ himself. And Saul refused the one who was calling Saul refused the one who was calling. He committed the sin against the spirit. He responded to the call to repentance and faith with continued unrepentant unbelief. Saul blasphemed the spirit, and he refused to believe. He committed the unpardonable sin again and again and again. And yet the grace of God superabounded to him. The grace of God superabounded to Paul, and that unpardonable sin he committed, the unpardonable ignorant sin of unbelief and blasphemy, that sin was not so big that it could resist the grace of God. The grace of God was more powerful than the unpardonable sin in Paul. And the grace of God superabounding to Paul by the power of the Holy Spirit opening Paul's eyes to see the truth and to embrace Christ by faith and to give him the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus, Paul's unpardonable sin was not bad enough that that superabounding grace of God couldn't forgive it. God pardoned the unpardonable through the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because Christ Jesus came into the world to save the worst of sinners. And that's where Paul goes with it. He says in verse 16, I receive mercy for this reason, that me as the foremost, Jesus Christ, might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are believing, or to those who believe in him for eternal life. What Paul's example teaches us is this: that the superabounding grace of God is more able to cover the grossest of sins than you are able to sin. There is nothing in this world that is greater than God's power and grace in Christ. He is able, more able to cover your sin than you are to sin. God took a blaspheming hellion and he broke his heart and he made him believe. And then to top it all off, God made Paul an apostle by divine decree. That's what verse 12 says. God set him, God decreed him, his apostle. God's power and God's gospel is the story of God overwhelming the worst sinners and making them, instead of people that hated him, that belong in a place that hates him, he makes them people that love him. And God promises you that if you believe that no matter what you've done or will do, you are worthy in his son. You are worthy in his son. You are worthy to come to the father. You're worthy to proclaim the father and you're worthy to serve him. God sent his son to save sinners while they were actively part of the opposition. God saved Paul and set him forth as as an example. God saved me and he will save you. And you can trust that because this is a true and faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. I'm not skipping that first part of our verse This is an important thing. This saying is trustworthy, and it is worthy of all acceptance. This is God's word to you. God's word to you in the gospel is that his son is your entire salvation. His son is your entire salvation. You were the enemy, and he came into the world and invaded the world to save his enemies. Well, so what? What does that mean for me? What does that have to do with my everyday life? What's the application? The application is this. You can hang everything you are and everything you hope on this simple truth. God can't lie. And God's word is this. This is God's trustworthy and faithful statement, worthy of all acceptance, that Jesus Christ came into the world. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. The trustworthy word of God is that he promised he would save his people in his son, and then he delivered that salvation in his son. The word that Yahweh saves his people and anointed his son to do it is trustworthy and worthy of all acceptance. It's true. So you can go to bed tonight, and if you die before you wake, you'll be in his presence. You can go to sleep. And wake up with God forever because Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. It's not something that you can undo. Your life, your death will not separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's what God has done for you in Christ. He rescued you from a place you love to be, and he won't let you go back to it. God knew exactly who you were when he sent his son to save you, and he knows who you are now. And he sent his son, and his son came into the world to save you. He still knows who you are, and he will save you. Well, so what? It's all well and good. What do I do with that? You rest in it. The first application is that you rest in it, and then you spread it. Rest in this gospel and spread this gospel. The second part of the first phrase in our verse is this. This is a true and faithful saying, worthy of all acceptance. This is what Paul's doing with it. Paul's phrasing it in such a way that he's being pushy. You're being kind of pushy there, Paul. I know, you're absolutely right. I'm being pushy because you need to know this. This is worthy of full acceptance. This is worthy of all acceptance. Paul's experience of the goodness and grace of God pushes him to proclaim it to others. Paul can't shut up about it. Verse 1 it's, it's how he starts his letter, Christ Jesus, our hope. Verse 12, he's already going back to the grace of Christ Jesus, our Lord. And in our text, he's talking about it. And in verse 17, he can barely hold it in. He's not even done with chapter one. He's, he's in the beginning of the letter yet, and he's already talking as if it's the end of the letter because he's doing doxology. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be o- go- honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. The gospel is too good not to proclaim it. It's too good not to push it, and it's too good not to praise God for it. The gospel is so good that it has to be proclaimed. The application of the gospel is that you rest in it, and then you proclaim it, and you praise God for it. Well, still, so what? How how does that impact my life? It impacts my life this way, because God has made us gospel people. We're gospel people now. God's grace has not only pursued and broken and saved Paul, the chief of sinners, it's transformed him. The gospel transforms Paul and gives him a new gospel love for sinners, a new heart for others to know the gospel, and a new gospel heart for evangelism. The heart and desire and love for evangelism that Paul has as a result of the gospel is evident even in our text this morning. In the first part of chapter one, the first context we learn about this letter is that Paul left Timothy in Ephesus. Paul left Timothy in Ephesus with a purpose. He left him in Ephesus to correct false teachers. Paul talks about these false teachers and he says these false teachers are people who claim to know the law, but they don't. These people are ignorant and unfaithful stewards. But the reason that Paul leaves his true son in the faith, his right-hand man whom he wishes were with him in the midst of everything, the reason Paul leaves Timothy behind is because the gospel has driven Paul toward a goal. And that goal is that others would know Christ. He tells us that goal in verses 5 and 11. Verses 5 and 11, Paul tells us that he wants these false teachers gospelized he wants these false teachers to know the same faith and love that have superabounded to him in Christ Jesus the application of the gospel is a love of neighbor that desires them to know the gospel and then it evangelizes them paul knows full well that he used to be an ignorant blaspheming abusive false teacher of the law but it's that very fact of the that, that the god who sent his son to save sinners, has saved him. It's that very fact that drives Paul to call out error in love. Paul's not being mean. He's not being arrogant. He's not making fun of people. And he's not a hypocrite when he does that, when he calls out error in love. When Paul leaves Timothy behind to correct Paul's teachers, and later on in chapter 1, when Paul tells us that he has delivered people to Satan so that they might learn not to blaspheme, knowing full well he used to be a blasphemer, Paul's not doing that in pride. Paul's doing that because God saved him from those very same things. And Paul wants others to know that same salvation. So Paul's patiently and he's lovingly doing the same ministry or doing, doing difficult ministry in light of that same gospel that has saved him and that he wishes to spread. Christ Jesus came into the world to save simmer, sinners of whom he is chief and Paul wants others to know that goodness. That's what drives his desire to correct others. And in chapter 2, when he encourages prayer for all men, and in chapter 2, when, when he mentions that he's now a minister to the Gentiles, what's driving Paul is that glorious gospel truth that he's been saved and that this goodness is too good not to share. So the application of this glorious truth for Paul is that he believes in it, he rests in it, he proclaims it, and he praises God for it, but then he desires other to know others to know it and paul does everything he can to spread that glorious gospel and paul does that with a heart that understands that he is a product of the same message he proclaims the same message that paul is proclaiming is the same message that has changed him he's calling other sinners to repentance and faith because he's because he's the chief of sinners and because he's the chief of sinners He's the chief of sinners to whom God's love has superabounded so that he would repent and believe. The heart Paul has to the world is the heart of a formerly starving man telling other hungry people where to find food. The heart that Paul has to the world now is a heart of a formerly dehydrated man proclaiming to other thirsty people where the waters of the river of life are. This is a message Paul can't hold back. This is a message Paul can't keep in. It's too good to be true, and it is true. For Paul, the application of the gospel is the gospel. It's his heart. It's how he treats people. It's all that he desires for others. It's the good news he spreads because he has received it. And he does it with the heart of Christ who has saved him. He does it. Not because he's so prideful, but because he himself has been humbled. The overwhelming gift of salvation causes Paul to want others to know the depth of the riches that are ours in Christ Jesus. And his hope is our hope. And so his call is our call. We as believers who have heard this message today are to rest in this message, proclaim this message, praise God for this message, and then desire that others would know it. And then we go and invite our neighbors to hear the glorious truth that we have heard and which has changed us. And that glorious truth is that the gospel is for sinners. God saved Paul. He saved you and me. And he saves sinners like our neighbors who have not yet heard and believed that call. Amen. At Covenant Reform Church in Missoula, Montana, we sincerely believe God's Word and faithfully teach it. We invite you to worship with us on Sundays. For more information, please visit MissoulaURC.com. That's MissoulaURC.com.